the most common theme that came out of the 13 roundtables when we, you know, listen, it, it was, it, it, it didn't matter what subject we were talking about. It always come back to feeling. And it was something that every single person spoke about from some of the top consultants in the world to people that just worked in the industry for a couple of years. The one common theme that come back was how does a bar make you feel? Um, and that was really the best way to judge, but to judge feeling is a very difficult thing to do. Hey everybody, welcome to the Decoding Cocktails podcast. I'm your host, Chris LeBeau. At the ripe age of 38, I left my former career behind and joined the hospitality industry. Since then, I've been on a rapid journey of learning, meeting all sorts of great people, and this, this podcast, is my chance to bring you along with me. Whether I'm interviewing somebody that works in the industry, another enthusiast, or occasionally stepping back to share what I'm working on or my thoughts. I'm so glad you're here. And so with that aside, let's get into today's episode. Well, 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 welcome back, everybody, for another episode of Decoding Cocktails. I am Chris LeBeau. Thanks, as always, for being here. Today, I've got three guests on to talk about an initiative they're working on. We have uh, Hannah Sharman Cox and Siobhan Payne. They are the co-founders of London's Cocktail Week, and Dan Dove, who runs an agency called Global Bartending, which puts on many events and also manages a number of notable bartenders out there. Uh, But they've come together to launch something called the Pinnacle Guide. And this is designed to be something along the lines of the Michelin Guide, which is used uh, historically to rate restaurants. Um, Their purpose statement for Pinnacle Guide is to create an authentic, reliable, and trusted recognition system that elevates the bar industry underpinned by fair and visible processes. So in a lot of competitions out there, you're often competing against others for the, the title of best bar, best bartender, best hotel bar, etc., But in the Michelin Guide, historically, you're not competing against other restaurants, per se. You're competing against the standards of what a one, two, or three-star restaurant is. And that's exactly how the Pinnacle Guide is designed to be. You don't win best bar in the world. You win a pin, depending on how you're falling in. The other thing that's interesting um, is at times there are, um, in a lot of the other competitions, the question is, how do you catch the attention of the judges? And at least one of the conversations is that like you you have a lot of budget for PR. But the first phase in Pinnacle is actually to nominate yourself. Now, it is more than, you know, my name, my restaurant, and here's our website. Like there's, It's going to be a pretty lengthy process, but it's designed to also help you kind of audit your own standards, but also give them an idea of who is applying. But the real appeal of this, in a way, is if you look at a list of best bars, and it's not to say you can't find exceptions, but you're going to see them in cities like, you know, city-states like Singapore or Mexico City, Barcelona, New York, London, etc. tends to be these bigger cities. And as someone coming from a smaller town, uh, I find the idea that you can nominate yourself honestly very interesting. Once you have reviewed yourself, then... You are anonymously reviewed if you've kind of advanced the second stage. And there are six modules by which you're evaluated. That is the look and feel, operations, your relationship with the community, staff, the front of house, and your drinks program. And each carries various amounts of weight, whether that's in stage one or stage two. After kind of putting this together, 
They then embarked on uh, a noble and daunting tour of talking and listening to many, many people to make sure that as they roll this out, how do they get enough buy-in from the drinks industry that people are excited for it to be here? And like with anything, you know, nothing is perfect. And so I've, I've heard, you know, kind of like various thoughts on like, you know, how do you think about what exists as the current award systems versus this one? But I think it's very exciting to look at one that kind of enables uh, smaller market bars to hopefully get better attention. And second, the amount of effort that they have put in to really reach out and learn, it feels to me like their heart is really in the right place. And so I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, if you want to learn more, check them out at thepinnacleguide.com or on the old Instagrams at thepinnacleguide. Again, I think this is exciting, and I hope you enjoy this conversation with Hannah, Siobhan, and Dan. So, Dan, Hannah, and Siobhan, first, thank you for taking a couple minutes to talk today. I'm, uh, I'm honestly very intrigued about what you guys are working on here. Thank you so much for inviting us, Chris. We're delighted to get the chance to to talk about it in a little bit more detail. You're, you're, I'm, I'm glad we can. So, you know, I, I've tried to do my my homework on this, but I'm I'm curious, you know, knowing that all of you guys have some drinks industry experience, was there a thing that I don't remember hearing per se is, was there, and obviously we can leave any names out of it if any names exist, but was there a moment that you suddenly felt like you wanted to, as we were joking right before we started to record, to like to boil the ocean in terms of like, you know what we need is a is another awards platform. And I'm I'm all for it. But did did you feel like you were seeing too many of the same names? Did did you feel slighted at a point in time? What was kind of the catalyst that at least got this idea rolling in the first place? I think it wasn't it wasn't necessarily any failings of what exists already. We just saw that there was a space for a a system that rep, that resembled Michelin, as in one, two, and three stars. We're not calling them stars; we're going to call them pins. Um, so there was there was that side of it. We felt that the bar industry deserved that sort of very easy to understand by consumers rating system for bars. Um, and secondly, we felt that there were some gaps to be filled with regards to bars being represented on the lists um, and ensuring that bars that maybe don't get a look in do on on an, on this new platform. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, as we were, I was saying earlier in terms of my keen interest for this, you know, being in a second kind of tier market at this point in time, you know, while it's not impossible, um, it does feel rare that I I see a, you know, a bar, you know, a hotel, et cetera, cited for a cocktail program from Oklahoma City or, you know, Baton Rouge, Louisiana, or my my town of St. Louis. Is there a way in which you feel like at this point in time, having studied the awards market so much now, is there a way in which that is there a reason why these current award platforms don't seem to be reaching cities like like mine as much? Because I've heard you guys kind of refer to capital cities a lot when you're talking. So how do you think about this platform in terms of uh, second-tier markets like my own? I think one of the uh, main call-outs that us three made at the beginning of this process was that 
pinnacle guide when launched into a country needs to cover country and not uh, a, a capital city. And currently we see um, lots of award bodies um, awarding bars in capital cities because the main way that they're judged are generally through travel of industry drink experts. And by default, they normally travel through capital cities or through key cities of each country. And so there's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, it's just a very, very complex job to judge outside of capital cities um, from that perspective. And so it was something that we really looked at where we are super, super keen on ensuring that when we launch into a new market and when we say a market like the US as a whole, is that what we will not be doing is just focusing on New York, but hopefully making our way down to you, Chris, near Chicago um, and making sure that bars of very, very good standing and level get the representation that they deserve that they may have not done previously. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. One of the key differences that we're, again, we started with with kind of a bit of a blank slate, but really where we got to is that there is space for judges that aren't simply just kind of the who's, who's who list. Um, and we've all done quite a lot of work in the consumer sphere and we all felt like with the right training, we could ensure that all sorts of people could come in and verify this last stage, which is kind of how it will end up working. There's a submission process from the bars first, and then our anonymous reviewers will go in and verify that information. And, and of course, add in how they felt and how the hospitality felt. And, you know, of course, add in all those layers. But once you, once you're in a position that you've opened it up at, at every stage of this, we were like, hang on, this is possible. This, we can do this. It's just obviously it's a little bit more time and effort on our part, setting it up and recruiting and training those people. But yeah, that's that's why we're we're sure that we can reward anybody who applies because we'll find somebody who will go in and verify. Mm-hmm. Actually, that's yeah. a key point that Hannah said is that bars have to apply to get one of these. So with the Pinnacle Guide, we're giving as many people as possible the opportunity to be recognized but you have to put yourself forward to be recognized so actually what we hope it means is that we'll be finding bars that weren't necessarily on our radar because if a bar feels that they are good enough to apply then we will consider their application and it doesn't matter where they are they could be in the middle of nowhere in New Zealand um, and we will consider their application and if they pop past the application process which is quite in depth so we're looking at quite a lot more than just what's in front of the bar we're looking at their processes behind the bar um, how they treat their staff how they treat the environment obviously as well as their approach to drinks and hospitality but if they if they pass that criteria then we'll find someone that will be able to go to that bar and anonymously review the bar Um, so yeah it's quite exciting I think I think we'll be discovering bars that you know, the industry aren't aware of that are doing really, really good work, which is exciting. I I do think it is, you know, even when you think about capital cities or, or bigger cities in terms of, you know, as we've seen like right now, what is it? At least on some of the other um, lesser places of note right now, you might see like a lot of things popular in Barcelona or others, you know, Mexico City has obviously had its massive ascent, you know, in, in certain categories right now. And I think, Generally, as you cross cultures, 
you're going to see different approaches to drinks, hospitality, et cetera. And I think it's very interesting to think about as you kind of get very granular on a country to think like, oh, like, yeah, this is what cocktail programs look like, perhaps in traditional enclaves like New York, you know, DC, et cetera. But what happens when suddenly you're in Cleveland or Wichita? I think it's fascinating to think about the what we can unlock in terms of understanding the different ways that these are brought to fruition. And I love that there is a uh, the self-application process. I feel like, again, mentioning it to a bar owner friend of mine, that immediately made it more appealing to him because I think at times it can feel like a question of who can generate the most smoke uh, can oftentimes be who ends up at least nominated on these lists. And for for smaller programs that don't have or don't wish to employ, you know, someone to kind of raise that flag for them, uh, it could probably feel very daunting to ever feel like they're being recognized. Uh, I can I could say here in our city, for example, we don't have, and I've heard this from a couple of people, we have a, what I think is, you know, a pretty notable food scene, but we don't necessarily have a dedicated formal drinks critic. We have formal food critics, but when the food critics turn their lens on to cocktails, they're not necessarily applying the same lens. And so it's hard for them to feel like they can even get the the right local notoriety to at least push to a broader body at that point in time. And what we hope is that the submission questions that we've put forward, they're people from the trade speaking to other people in the trade, right? We're not asking them questions that are that they might not know the answer to or inappropriate. We're asking questions based on our collective 60, 70 years, whatever collective amount of time is now in drinks based on that and based on like actually running and operating a successful, commercially successful venue. There's no place in our submission process to get any more points if you've got a big PR agency. There's no space in our submission program to gain any points if you run takeover programs. That's cool if you do it and tell us about it because this is the whole point of this is it's a bar's chance to tell us all the stuff that's good about them, right? That's the point of the submission process, but there's no points available for that. So what we're really hoping is that this enormously opens up the possibility of recognition in a way that hasn't been done before. And that, as, as Shiv said at the beginning, that's not in any way a criticism to what currently happens, but it's for the, our three brains, it's exciting to unpick um, something and see if there's a different way of doing it. I thought, and again, having watched a couple of your guys' talks, like I can, I could certainly see you excited and also ready to pull pull your hair out at times. You know, of the, I think there's twelve modules. Is that correct? That you? Oh no, least... there's thirteen now because. Oh, thirteen, we... perfect. It's so annoying because they would there was twelve and it was lovely. It looked lovely on the website, perfect. And then because one of our commitments as part of the Pinnacle Guide is full transparency, taking on feedback. And one of the pieces of feedback was that we needed a little bit more conversation around staff wellbeing. So we added another round table halfway through the program. So there's 13, it's not quite as perfect, but it was important to us to, to take that feedback on board. So we had to leave aside our perfectionism and um, include it. And then from the 13 round tables that distilled down into six modules. So the six modules are what uh, that form the submission process. Very good. So that, Got it. Yeah. Yeah. So the 13, the, 
the baker's dozen became the six mm-hmm. and the six are um three probably are a little bit more obvious so front of house drinks program uh, uh interior styles and then on top of that there's a piece on community there's a piece on your staff and there's a piece on your ops but kind of again ops based on taking care of people rather than just like you know not just numbers we're not we're not into that it's it's more about have you been thoughtful about where your stockroom is in comparison to your bar is someone climbing underground going downstairs bumping their head every time just you know those kind of questions just because part of our responsibility is asking the questions actually as part of this submission process that's the bit that that's kind of as we just got increasingly excited about this is that every time we ask a good question somebody's going to go away and think about that and if they weren't doing it before save your progress fix it come back continue filling out the form so it's like there's such room for there's such space to allow people to improve you know nobody's going to have a per- completely perfect uh application that's nobody could nobody as proven by the 13 round tables nothing's perfect <laughs> but there's, yeah, I... there's space within it and and kind of and and prompts to ensure that that people are think just thinking and and hopefully thinking in a kind way I like the fact that, you know, that can the application be thoughtful enough that it helps someone rethink that? Because, yeah, as a uh, job that can be very demanding, and and a lot of work is, of course, in this world, but um, that you can accept some ergonomic failures or, you know, you know, staffing problems, you kind of, but like, so in the process of, hey, I'm really proud of these drinks, hopefully that can spur you to think like, oh, what would make this an even better program overall? So yeah, it's kind of nice to think that hopefully the application process could be a little bit, uh, you know, perhaps frustrating for them in terms of like, damn, I really wanted to submit, but also <laughs> uh, therapeutic in terms of getting to a better program overall at this point in time. Exactly right. And that's what was so lovely about those round tables is that we bought in people from all over the world, some people we knew before, some people we didn't know actually, and we'd researched them and really felt like they would add a layer into this. And so all those collective voices and thoughts have come into then writing these six modules. So it's a real collaboration piece. This A job like this could never just sit with three people to be like, this is how we judge the equivalent to Michelin. It just could never happen. So it's- Especially been- not three people based in the same city. Yeah. That was Right, key. right. Yeah, no, I I thought it was cool on your roundtables to see people convened from so many places with hopefully the the input that could help you kind of really push things forward at that point in time. One of the things I remember hearing about, speaking of uh, Michelin and kind of using them as perhaps a a guiding star, so to speak. Uh, So, you know, with all the, you know, clearly there's a lot of labor required in the reviewing of applications but then you know sending people to these markets is certainly a whole other thing i remember hearing from someone that you know michelin is something that is also has been uh practically impractical because it you know it's a long times it was it was a money loser for that it was a you know a loss leader for the tire company in a way how do you think about uh because i don't know if i've actually seen this so in terms of Funding this, getting people to market, what are the things that kind of help? Um, how do you keep make a program like this itself sustainable for you three and whatever other requisite team is required? 
So the first of all, we will we're aiming to use reviewers that are local to the market. Um, so we're not we're not going to be sending people around the world, which I think not only saves money but it saves the environment a little bit as well. Um, initially, we're also just covering expenses of the reviewers, so the drinks expenses of the reviewers, which we think is still the best job in the world. Um, obviously, down the line, it would be really nice if we can actually pay people for their time as well. But considering that the reviewers would just need to maybe do two reviews a year or maybe three a year, um, we'll we'll be we'll be just covering that. Um, with regards to to the kind of the business side of things, I guess, um, we're going to be looking at what in what insights we can gather over time through this process. Um, and essentially what we'd like to achieve down the line is that as well as being a body that rewards and recognises the world's best bars, um, we can also be a body that creates insights around what is happening in these best bars. Um, and that will be something that we believe that the whole industry can really benefit from um, and elevate their own that, that elevate the industry as a whole through the knowledge of of what's happening in bars, not not just the not just the bars that recognise at the moment, but around the world in the smaller cities um, that are delivering excellence. So that is kind of how it will sustain itself as as a company, I suppose, um, through these insights. Um, and the second part of funding would also be that we are currently in some you know fantastic conversations with with some very large luxury consumer brands um, that will look to partner and sponsor us um, throughout the coming years. And so that will be, you know, um, you know something that we, we, we knew from the beginning, really, but we made sure that we listened to everybody over the last two years to ensure fairness. And something that we're, you know, we've still stuck to to this day is that we're ensuring that we're not going to be funded by drink brands. Um, and we want to make sure that any major partners or sponsors for the pinnacle guide moving forward will come from luxury consumer outside of the drinks industry both of those sound like very smart things and yeah i mean knowing a number of restaurant and bar owners i mean what the, the places that they pick up insights from they're you know they're often so busy even if they want them they don't know where to look and the idea that you could Hey, we, we've received you know five thousand applications over this, and here's what we've gleaned from it. Uh, is certainly an interesting insight to be able to turn around and provide to them. So, with all the listening and just uh, you know the timeline of process you guys have created, it's just miraculous. Is there are there the parts of the process that have been surprisingly more straightforward, or what are the parts you know other than actually just launching this thing? Um, and getting it out there, what are the parts that still you think are, are going to be the hardest to evaluate? How, how are you, uh, uh, without, hopefully, without, without, without triggering too much therapy uh, needed right here, <laughs> how are you guys feeling about this? It's been straightforward. <laughs> as a caveat, as an answer to your question. <laughs> it would have been straightforward, but I think we care so much about getting it right. We just, even, we've not... We've not brushed anything under the carpet. Yeah. So even things that, you know, it would it would be much easier to just use exactly the same model as Michelin, for example, and just send people around and go in and be like, yeah, this is a nice drink. This is nice lighting. 
the staff is nice the end um but i think because we care so much about changing the status quo um yeah like hannah said none of it's none of it's been completely straightforward but it's been really good for us i think and to that point fascinating to like to not have a we're all very fortunate that we have other businesses and we have kept very busy other places but what that's meant is that we haven't had to rush this we're not on any timeline because we don't have this answering to a drinks brand answering to we're just answering to ourselves and so what that's meant is that we've if something's needed an extra week an extra two weeks an extra month an extra just breathe and get it right rather than like force things through and make quick decisions we're like now let's sit on that for one more week let's reconvene on Tuesday let's let you know just breathe on it and so yeah there have been things that are difficult and there's we've had to do a lot of learning and growing as we've gone along too like we definitely weren't coming at this with a perfect solution that was why we chose to do this in the way to involve the trade in as much as anybody wanted to be involved in from the very beginning but yeah the the space that we've given ourselves has meant that we have we've got to all the places just without the kind of the grief I think that can come sometimes when you're on somebody else's schedule Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think that's what's been what's been interesting is that it's almost starting each new phase. The start has always been a little bit daunting because we're doing we're we're creating a concept of measuring excellence that it doesn't currently exist. So, for example, when we said right, we're going to have this consultancy phase and we're going to ask the trade what they think we're going to get everyone's feedback and ensure that this is a system created by the community for the community when we made that pledge it was almost quite easy to make the pledge but then the creating the plan of like right okay how does that actually like we can we can talk about that so cows come home but actually how does that manifest in real life like what does that what does that mean so so then that bit was quite hard. That felt like the uphill bit of like working out how. Then once we worked out how, then we just did it. And it was just loads of really interesting conversations with people, um, fascinating, clever, unbelievably successful people for months. It was brilliant. But then once we'd finished that section, it was like, right, okay, we've we've said we're going to take all this feedback on board. Now we've said that we're going to create a system that rewards bars and all these different levels and all these different measures. Then the thought of like, right, how are we going to do that but then once we decided how with the six modules with the application form with the review the anonymous reviewers then it was kind of then we were like on the process so I suppose now with with applications imminently opening it might actually they might actually already be open by now um I think the next thing is like right okay now we're actually now we're actually reviewing bars we're reviewing their submission and then we're going to be sending reviewers out so it's it's kind of almost the thought of things that for me is the hardest bit i mean us, us three i mean we've known each other well me specifically to the girls but you know we've known each other for over 15 years we've worked alongside each other in a you know in a very similar capacity within the drinks industry we've worked in marketing we've worked in building brands we've worked in event management and so we've got many things in common, but the one thing we do have in common is that we're so detail driven with everything we do, everything that um, <laughs> sometimes it doesn't benefit us too much because we overanalyze everything, which is a good thing, I think, in the long term for the Pinnacle Guide, right? Because it means 
but the base, the branding, the website development that's going on in the background at the moment to ensure that everything that Hannah and Siobhan have just mentioned actually comes to fruition and functions once it goes live. Um, the detail that we've taken to ensure that everyone's feedback has gone into place and it functionally functionally works, as, Sh as Siobhan just said. So I think um, people say it's always in the detail. Right? We we truly believe it is, but in the in the building of something of this size, um, we have to do it at the right pace. Mm -hmm. Yeah. A uh, yeah. One of the things that I, I remember hearing that that resonated as well is that while maybe the got Michelin is again kind of the example has continued to evolve, perhaps that traditionally it would have been rewarding more white tablecloth formal service and um, absolutely something to be said for that. But at the same time, I mean, some of the places I feel most at home are 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 pretty gritty. And, uh, and you can even, I remember even recently, and there's plenty of examples, but, you know, recently in New Orleans at this point in time, uh, you know, we went to a bar called Barrel Proof and like, you know, I mean, I would not describe that bar as very sanitary, but it was a great place to hang out at. And the drinks that came across, I remember I was there with a couple of bartenders, obviously. And the minute we saw the bartender, just the way he picked up the tins, we were like, okay, yeah, this is going to be good. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think to how do you capture the most elegant of hotel bars uh, and something like Barrel Proof in New Orleans in the same, you know, pass? And maybe they're not all in the same category, but that, that we all deserve a chance at recognition because what we're doing is excellence in our own way. And so I think it certainly is what makes this very much an ocean boiling affair uh for you guys and so i i appreciate the diversity of things you're trying to evaluate at this point in time yeah we felt it was really important that the drinks industry as a whole was recognized because we're not just white tablecloths and we're not just hotel bars and so the way again and again back to your other question of like did that feel daunting yeah it definitely did but once we cracked it all of it comes down to the submission process, right? So when a bar chooses to put themselves forward for a pin, we'll ask them the questions, tell us about your bar, right? And so all you need to be to get a pin is the very best version of the kind of bar that you are. And that, not for a moment are we saying we need theme bars, right? But if you're a hotel bar, there will be certain things that you have access to, whether that's a nice, somebody in the toilet's, passing you a hand towel or whether that's complimentary first drink as you sit down because the budget's there, right? But if you're a beach bar in the best beach bar in the world, you're not going to have those two things potentially. And so everything that we're doing is measuring against your own, con a bar's own concept. Mm -hmm. So what it allows is if you're a tiki bar, be the best tiki bar. If you're, you know, all of it is like with the questions and the questions you can see, they're all, they're all publicly online, the questions that we're going to ask. They're saying within your constraints, within within what's available to you, like explain, explain, explain. So that then we are in a position that we can reward a three pin beach bar in the same way that we can have a three pin hotel bar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, in, in, in exactly that way, we're not measuring bars against each other. We're not comparing at all. The only bar that we're comparing a, each venue to is their own idea of what it should be. Hmm. Um, and we believe that through that 
kind of value we're going to be we're, we're going to be representing the diversity of the of the different places in the drinks industry that makes the industry so amazing that's why we love it that's why we love bars because you know you'll never get the same experience twice um so yeah that, but it took a bit of time to get to that didn't it we were oh like how yeah. <laughs> it was really interesting as well Chris what you just said you know when you walked into your bar in New Orleans and you saw your bartender pick up the tins and you know probably the lighting was right and the smell was right and you got served in, in a speedy time and all of those bits that just make it right it was the most common theme that came out of the 13 roundtables when we you know listen it, it was it, it didn't matter what subject we were talking about it always come back to feeling and it was something that every single person spoke about from some of the top consultants in the world to people that just worked in the industry for a couple of years the one common theme that come back was how does a bar make you feel um, and that was really the best way to judge but to judge feeling is a very difficult thing to do and so, so it's something that we've taken into you know huge priority as we work through our you know 100 questions as you go to enter in, um, and self-submit is that those questions should hopefully help answer how you're how you're made to feel as a guest walking into your bar mm -hmm. yeah and i loved even and this has come up a couple of times recently, but I didn't know it was in one of your things like, oh, like does, does the experience begin when you're making the reservation? How do you think about that? And, and yeah, I think that really what you're hitting on is, you know, the term mise en place gets thrown around all the time. Very important to the operation and execution of a bar, but you know, uh, and I always make the caveat on the podcast. I've got a French last name. I don't speak French, but uh, yeah, the, the term uh, mise en scène, you know, is like, you know, the whole idea of the feeling of a place. And I think that it is, yes, it's much more subjective and hard to put your hands around, but you know it when it's there. And in terms of like, you know, you go to a place and you get a great executed cocktail, but there's just kind of like, it's kind of soulless, right? Or you go to a place and the drink's fine, but the vibe is just, it's right. And uh, and to know that those can both be okay. And, I, and so I like to your point of, I was more recently in my own town at a bar that would be a very high-end establishment. And uh, I looked around and a lot of people there were having a good time. And I was like, oh, this isn't this isn't my scene. And to realize that that's okay. That can be their scene at the same time. It, knowing that there is, that if we're talking about beach bars and hotels at the same time, there are different categories. And to your point with other award systems that are out there, this isn't necessarily better. It's just taking a different angle. But, you know, and so I don't know how it could be personnel or if there's a way to answer this, but are there categories that you feel like have been most overlooked so far at this point in time? Are there are there things that you that you feel pro you're, you're you're working to bring a more objective process to evaluating this industry? But are there things that haven't gotten a shake yet at times with other programs at all? I'm not sure there's um, a specific category of bars if you were to break them down but I, I feel that because the majority of bars that are normally judged are generally capital cities not always but the models generally that way that they're they're more city-led bars and now the city-led bars could be underground dive bars all the way to a five-star hotel hotel bar but generally what they don't offer or a city doesn't offer are bars that have land and more of a rural environment to be able to grow produce on site, et cetera. So I think by 
us uncovering bars that are not city driven may give very different drink programs that sit outside because of the countryside or the rural element of that bar, which I can definitely see in the in the UK for sure instantly. And we can see in most countries around the world where I think this may happen. Um, but yeah, that's, I guess that's from mine. I don't know, Hannah Siobhan, if there's any, any other categories that maybe we feel like have been- I mean, often you're just, the, the we're not looking for one, I think. And I think that's the biggest difference, right? Because if you're looking for best new menu, best new opening, there's only space for, for one, but there's many. And we've always said there's no cap on pins. If you're good, you're good and you get one. If we'd be delighted if 10 people got one, we'd be delighted if a hundred people got one and, and, and so on and so on. But we have, there's no, someone said the other day, well, you know, what, what's your definition of success for this? And it's like, uh, it's certainly not a number to that, right? That's, that's not one of the, one of the measures for us, the number of pins. And so therefore there's lots of venues that are doing great work, but because they're not new, because they've not put out a really high concept menu, because because for all the reasons that, that the categories currently often sit, then they get overlooked. So I think that's going to be interesting, maybe for more established venues might. And that's not, I don't, by that, I don't mean like previously awarded venues. I mean, I truly mean like years established that wouldn't necessarily fit into some of the awards that some of the ways that you can be rewarded currently. So we'll see. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. No, that's helpful. And one of the things I did want to ask about too, knowing, knowing that we've all seen, you know, bars, restaurants, just businesses in our community, people be awarded something, you know, best, best award by this magazine you've never heard of. And they're probably good people, you know, but like, or like, Hey, like my mom thinks my business is great. Um, I know you've talked about that over time, much like we would see Michelin is like, oh my gosh, like you got two stars, like that's that's pretty serious stuff. So, what are the things that uh, I know it was one of the talking points with some with some of the partners? What are the ways you begin to kind of build brand with um, consumers so that they, when they see this place has a pin or two pins, that they go, oh my gosh, like this is. So, so what, what are the steps you take to make sure that people revere this over time? The first step for us, we know, is patience. It's like practice patience because like, look, and Dan, Dan mentioned this earlier, we've, we've all been in this industry a long time. Obviously, Hannah and I um, work on like, all the founders of London Cocktail Week, which is now in its 14th year. And so we know how long it takes to get to places Dan's got global bartending, which again, he's put, actually Dan, that your success in global bartending has grown pretty quickly, but we've all been in the industry for a really long time and we know that it's going to take time for it to become part of the vernacular that exactly like you said, and that's our dream that people are like, oh, wow, that, oh, this must be, this must be serious. Um, but beyond the patience, I suppose it's just ensuring that our brand, the Pinnacle Guide, represents the the that kind of luxury va value that is going to underpin the excellence of the venues that we're representing, um, and ensuring that every decision that we make means that the Pinnacle Guide brand um, is epitomising that message of excellence. I think. I think we think timing is everything as well. I think we, you know, Pope 
post, we won't mention it, but we will very quickly post COVID. I think there was there was a trigger that happened, and it was happening pre. It was happening pre anyway. But the the, the moment of people at home making cocktails for sure we've seen the rising over the last five years globally um you know we saw we saw that rise in chefs bringing amazing books and tv programs to the to the mass 10 15 years ago we saw the rise in people cooking dishes from chefs and from platforms that exist over the last decade and it's something that you know the girls have done amazingly well from a consumer perspective with London Cocktail Week, creating you know the large, the world's largest cocktail festival. It's something that we do from Global Barton. We make sure that we're trying to push some of the world's best drink experts into the consumer realm. And but that that can't just come from entities such as Global Barton or from London Cocktail Week or the Pinnacle Guide or from it has to be a joint effort where. At a, at a macro level, we're looking at people at home wanting to hear about great drinking experiences that they want to make and learn to make these great drinks at home for their friends. And so when you know we choose to take this to the, to the mass, whether that's through the website, through you know the power of the internet, whether that's through TV, whether that's through PR, we know that that's connecting correctly um, with you know with our consumers at home. And we think that now, in 2023 is the beginning of a very, very steep journey that that, that will take. I uh, I know we're getting close to time, and so we can certainly make sure we include anything else you guys want. But I, I will say, and I I appreciate that, that I was last night uh, a little later than I ex- expected, but I was out with a couple of friends who were visiting in town, and um, we were just having a conversation in general. My, my good friend I was with uh, and his wife, they... Um, uh, you know, he's he's been a cook for a long time, but just in general, the pull of people from a culinary perspective over the past, you know, especially in this country that for a long time had no discernible great cuisine of its own that's you know emerging. We're seeing cocktails are obviously following in that, and people are hungry for this now in a way like they weren't before. And I like the idea that there is more of this a we than us, but knowing of course that this is a a slog that these things take time. But um, yeah, I feel like more objective advice is useful because it's just, it is interesting to me that um, you can go into so many bars now globally, and I imagine particularly in London, but you you can go in and drop, you know, 15, 20, you know, 20 plus dollars, you know, how many, you know, pounds, whatever, and, uh, and get a drink that's, that that's fine. And um, and I think that it's hard for the consumer at times to discern what's going to be a great experience. And sometimes you just got to experience it for yourself. But trying to help establish a better marker for what excellence looks like, I think, is great because there are many ways you can dress a drink up and um, charge a great price, but the the overall experience be a letdown. And every bar is going to have its up days and down days. But I like this idea of trying to yeah deploy a more objective system over evaluating these things. And the beauty is in what you just said as well, Chris, because some of the world's best cocktails are only $20. And you may have to spend over $300 to go and have one of the world's best dinners. And so what we what we are trying to do is open up, you know, I'm, uh, we speak about our families all the time, but I speak for my family as well, you know, like my, my mum heard before you know i take her to these amazing bars would never be a person that would generally on a saturday night pop and go and have a drink at 
a certain you know top bar in London or when she travels because the expectation almost is that it's almost sometimes it might be too expensive or just too far out of your comfort zone to go to these places but hopefully the pinnacle guide will allow people like my mum and other people that haven't been able to do that to understand to go you know what I could spend five five ten dollars more for the night for a drink and go and have a world-class cocktail in a world-class bar yeah so first thing, obviously, I think when in doubt, a restaurant, you know, bar owner um, should apply or get, figure out what the application process is all about to evaluate if they're if they're ready for this. Is there anything else we haven't covered? We'll be sure to link, of course, to your guys' website and, and social media and whatnot. But is there anything else that you want people to know before we we wrap things up today? It's worth um, remembering that, yes, we definitely would like bars to apply and and you've got to be in it to win it, as as the saying goes. Um, but people can also reply to become anonymous reviewers. Um, um, that is open to everybody. You don't have to be a drinks professional to do so. You can be a drinks professional. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're going to be looking for reviewers around the world to go in and check out these bars and be part of our process. On behalf of uh, as one person from a non-capital city, so to speak, uh, I I would like to thank you guys for this uh, insane venture you've undertaken. Because uh, I I like to think that people in markets like mine will feel like uh, a, a a pleasant level of recognition is like a, a thing that feels more achie- achievable for them now, if they are of course worthy for such a thing. So, <laughs> um, thank, thank you. you again for for taking the time to talk today. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, everybody. Thanks for listening. The show notes for today's episode are available at decodingcocktails.com slash podcast. If you'd like to keep up with what we're working on, there are two great ways to do so. One, our short weekly newsletter, Cocktail Confidential, which you can sign up for at decodingcocktails.com slash newsletter. Or give us a follow on Instagram at Decoding Cocktails. If you think this podcast is great stuff, we'd love it if you'd subscribe or, of course, share an episode with a friend. The Decoding Cocktails podcast is produced by Chris Bay and myself. Thanks for listening. We'll see you again soon, and happy cocktail. Mm-hmm.